December 30th, 1974. Next news as it happens. Next scheduled news at 11 o'clock over WOR, Radio 710, The Talk of New York. And here's Gene Shepard. Concludes tonight's salute to the Salmon X family. That's one of my favorite families on TV. Have you noticed families are getting very popular on television in the commercials? Oh, no, no. Family commercials. Uh, as opposed to just an announcer standing there holding up the bottle, you know, pointing to it proudly. It's the little slice of life, the little family slice of life. It's, it's known as the Walton Syndrome. And there's a little kind of touch of nostalgia in so many of them. You've seen the Salmonex family, haven't you? Oh, you haven't. Of course you have. It shows the, uh, the, the, the daughter of the family, obviously. See, and they're all somehow scrunched around this table, see. And she says, Mom, I just have to thank you for uh, giving me Salmonex, uh, that now I sleep well every night. And Ma says, yes, your grandfather and his grandfather before him. And uh, how does the song go? And then the old guy in the corner sings, Take Salmonex tonight. It's just kind of touching. Little families that gather around their own favorite products and sing about them. Uh, I wonder if there's any family that sits around these days and sings the old Wheaties song. You know, before breakfast, have you tried Wheaties? And uh, have you heard the commercials on radio? Oh, the radio is going in for all that kind of pseudo, uh, let's say, realistic uh, uh, Roberto Rossellini 
uh, neo hard hitting realism type commercials. Yeah, there's an announcer that says, uh, "Hello, Mrs. Gutstop in Racine, Wisconsin. Uh, would you please sing us the Campbell Soup jingle?" And she sings it. You know, she says. Uh, <laughs> Campbell soup is better, Campbell soup is bright, drink it day or night, whoopee for pepper pot. He says, no, that's not the song, Mrs. Gumpox. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, we'll be calling again. <clears throat> he hangs up. <laughs> well, you can sing the Campbell soup song, can't you? Well, let's hear it. How does it go? Come on, let's hear it. Press the button. Uh, he's, you won't get a case of chicken gumbo. Oh, that's terrible. That's terrible, you know? And uh, have uh, <laughs> and, and the, that, that's all part of the new, you know, the, the new family involvement in the product commercial world. It's kind of friendly. In fact, I got called for a commercial the other day, and uh, the uh, it was a car company. And, uh, yeah, they, they, they sat me down, and there were a whole bunch of us sitting there. They said, now, now uh, what we want you to imagine yourself as being... You're part of a Whoopi Mobile family. And uh, father and son and grandfather before him, stretching back to the Civil War, you have been dedicated to buying Whoopi Mobiles. And now all the generations are gathered at some family celebration. Uh, the youngest son has just bought his first Whoopi Mobile. And of course, in a Whoopi Mobile family, this is a, uh, an important the beginning of the life. It's an anniversary. And uh, what we're going to do is. I said, wait a minute, just a minute here now. Just uh, you, you, this, that the product is now part of a, of a family ceremony, you know, like a turkey used to be, or a Christmas tree, or <laughs> various other. Some, well, the guy says, well, of course. Did you have any questions? Well, I guess not, because I could sense in his voice that the, he couldn't understand what I was asking. That uh, that when you live in a, in a, say for example, a Chrysler family that the young son going out and buying his first Chrysler, he has now officially entered the family life. Up to this point, he's been an apprentice, you know, driving old used galaxies and stuff around, and now he's finally made the plunge, and he's become part of the, the mainstream of the family. And uh, you've seen those commercials where they have little lockets and stuff where they show generation after generation past. It gives a man a tradition. You know, Americans are always searching for a tradition. And uh, do you belong to the Pepsi tradition in your family? I'm sure you do. That's right. Because you, you also belong to that generation, don't you? You don't know. Oh, yes, we're all part of the Pepsi generation. Because if you notice in the commercials, it shows people 97 years old hopping around drinking this stuff. And it shows people 12 years old hopping around drinking it. So everybody's part of the Pepsi generation. And it's really our age, you know, like they used to have the Bronze Age. And they used to have the Iron Age. This is the Pepsi Age. I mean, you can't get out of it. I mean, you could have been living in the Bronze Age and couldn't, you know, maybe you didn't give a damn about bronze. But it didn't make a difference. You were part of the Bronze Age. Ah, that bronze, that's all that new jazz. I'll stick to rocks. I'll stick to stone. Get out of here, Og, with that bronze. That stuff don't wear. Well... We're, uh, we're part of the... You can't ignore it. Uh, you've seen other commercials like that, haven't you? The Salmonex family's kind of nice. Uh, what, the, what are some of the others that you've seen? Well, you've seen, the, you've seen the father sitting there feeding his kid canned ravioli. 
Haven't you seen? That's a kind of a touching one. And stealing a few of those delicious little canned raviolis himself. You know that one. And then, of course, there's the whole family of pet foods. This is becoming a family tradition, too. You know, you can be an Alpo family or a Kennel Ration family or a Cadillac family. There's one where the guy comes on and he's pointing out all the ingredients. His wife made the mistake of buying the wrong dog food. Did you see that one? Oh, yes. He says, now, wait a minute there. You read. You read the label there. You just read it. She says, uh, nutrients, uh, plastic, sawdust, uh, garbage, apple cores. He says, there, you see? See? Alpo contains 100% beef. And he points it at it. And he's really concerned over that. Now, apparently, he doesn't give a damn what they eat, uh, you know, what the people eat. But as long as the dog doesn't get those apple cores... That's uh, you know that's bad news. Even though he loves them, you know, I'll tell you. If, uh, if I uh, I have a dog, by the way, and if I could find a dog food that contains uh, uh, ground up slippers and pieces of old day beds, he'd love that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> make it official, you know, and put some dead fish in there, some fermented chicken juice. He wants the rottenest stuff, you know. I roll around out the eating dead moles and everything else, you know. But then, you know, I'm, I'm not going to editorialize. That's his thing. So uh, I, I think every every uh, one of us has a search for a tradition today. And, uh, and so would you please give me the search for tradition music, Herb? Yes, that's it. And so mankind ever searching for roots in the past, ever reaching for the great tree of the heritage that he has lost, reaches out, bobbing like a cork on the Sargasso Sea of knowingness. Oh, that's kind of good. Bring it up. Uh, hold it there a minute. Now, I just want to listen to this. I just want to hear it here. Have you ever seen a, a, a character in a, in a movie or a TV show when the, when the uh, theme music begins and it's playing behind him? He stops and says, hey, my God, listen to that, Fred, just a minute. We'll have the shootout later, but that's fantastic music. Yes. Shame. Yeah, that's beautiful. Bring it up there. <laughs> if we could get Frankie Lane to sing the Heritage Song. Special subtitles by Saul Bass. This is brought to you in Cinemascope and widescreen as a public service of this radio station. Listen next week at the same time for Search for Your Heritage. Salvation through brand names. There you go. Did you see the car card? Oh, yeah, I was in the subway the other day. There's a car card. One says, uh, a brand name family is a solid family. You hear that, Herb? It says, a brand name family is a solid family. And the, and the copy underneath it says, a family that buys nationally advertised brands is a good bet. And I could see a lot of people sitting there looking up, you know, these all these brand X fans, you know, the guys that buy the cockamamie <laughs> 49 cent specials down at the Great Eastern. And they say, oh, I come from a shifty family, a terrible shifty family. I haven't bought a can of Heinz anything in years, and I don't know why I'm, I'm backsliding. Speaking of that, friends, here are some commercials to get you straightened out. You don't mind if I sing with the choir here. Someday you'll own, I say. I say someday you'll own. 
And don't forget, uh, you go in snow or <laughs> we, W-E, we pay the tow. That's guaranteed traction. Your wheels won't be spinning and uh, you're going to get get where you got to get. And that's what you'll get from General Tire. They've got General's famous glass belt grippers, 780 priced at just two for 54 bucks. That's for size A, 7813, tubeless black wall, plus $1.80 federal tax. And that's the good old, reliable, honest General Tire. Sooner or later, your own Generals. Yeah, yeah. Sooner or later, I say your own Generals. Ba-dum, boom. Ba-dum, boom. Well, sport fans, uh, it's time for a little commercial here. And uh, this one says, have you seen the newest New York magazine? The one with the unforgettable Rita Hayworth and Ali Khan with Dick Tracy and Tess Trueheart, the year's most uh, newlyweds, newest newlyweds on the cover. Well, that's uh, the New York Magazine, and it's uh, a replay of the year 1949. <laughs> Very exciting year. And uh, let's see, what are the other things they have? Arthur Miller writing about uh, when Americans felt unified about everything our country did. Oh, is that so? And uh, Betty Friedan, then a housewife, writes of feminism, an exciting issue in 1949. It was also the year of uh, South Pacific. It was the year that the 49 Dodge came out. It was also the year that the Russians got the atomic bomb. And it was the year that they celebrated New Year's and all hollered, Happy 1949. So do you want to uh, relive those days? We'll pick up New York, now on the newsstands. The next time you're at the Metropolitan Museum, let director Thomas Hoving show you around. You can with a taped tour that he has recorded of his favorite works of art. The tour takes about 45 minutes, but you can turn the tape on and off whenever you feel like it. So your tour takes as long as you want it to. Let's listen in now as Director Hoving tells you about one of his favorite masterpieces, a portrait by Rembrandt called Woman with a Pink. We've all seen her. We've known people like her. We have, I think, met people who have the same look that she does, with eyes that are still entirely alive, with a mind that's about to speak, rather gently, I think. Rembrandt has penetrated right into the very brain substance itself in showing us this glance and this spontaneity. And look at the way the paint has been put on. Not only in the flower. There are lots of other recorded tours on Impressionism, Egyptian art, Greek sculpture, 15 in all. And they're available anytime right in the main hall. So come to the Metropolitan Museum and try one of our recorded tours. It's a good way to get to know us better. Very good. Oh, that's good. You know... <laughs> But you, uh, you, you can't, you can't, you can't ignore the search for a heritage, and uh, I think that's one of the one of the things that's behind the trivia phenomena today. Everybody's searching for a heritage. Have you noticed almost all trivia has to do with brand names? This is W O R Friends in New York. That's a brand name. Are you a W O R family? Generation after generation, have your Radio knobs been glued to 710 until finally they rusted out and wouldn't get nothing else. Yes, I, I got a letter the other day from a lady who says, I cannot understand why a reliable radio station such as your radio station allows a person of your type to be on. For years I've listened to Mr. Gambling, and for years I've enjoyed the work of all those wonderful people at that radio station, and I'm officially protesting... The search for heritage in one's life goes on. 
never-ceasing, endlessly chipping away at that vast rock of destiny. My God, I'll find my heritage yet. That takes me all year. Do I come from a Pontiac family because my father bought Pontiacs? You'd wake him up at three in the morning and say, Hey, what are you? The old man, you think he'd say, No. Religious? No. You'd wake my old man up at three in the morning and say, Quick, 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 what are you? I'm a Pontiac man. That's right. Are you a Rheingold man? Are you a Schaefer man? Are you a Ballantyne, a Budweiser, a Miller High Life man? Where do you stand in this world? Are you a Daily News family? Or are you a New York Times stalwart? Are you a man who stands on the ramparts of American history, defending the 57 varieties to the end? Are you a Shell man? Are you an Exxon man? Or are you a skunk ass man? Buying that cabbage gas with those little red neon signs that say, buy here and save, and then skulking out, your conscience gnawing at the very marrow of your bones. And so tonight we take this opportunity on this deeply concerned radio station, concerned for the future of mankind as well as the future of the American peoples. We take this time out tonight to salute those of you who have a solid brand name heritage. Let's stand proud and erect. I am a Van Camp's bean man. I believe in Ann Page. Curtis candies are my thing. Ever, ever clinging to your Borden Elsie the Cow label. believe in something. Do you believe in Ford? There's something warm deep in your heart when you see a sign that says Buick Sales and Service and you know that you're home. Yes, a heritage is an important part of a man's total being. And so tonight we salute those solid families who represent the heritage of our great land. Are you a general foods man? Do you believe in Quaker Oats? If you do, you believe in America, and you believe in yourself. you think that's uh, that's 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 the way it goes I mean I, I you know just inadvertently just like that you least expect that you get an inspirational message and at just the right time you needed a good message I did I certainly did I mean I, I I face up to it honestly when you're squinting into the sun there's times when you've got to have a reassuring word you've got to have a head come down out of that great big moiling mysterious abyss of the sky a hand that reaches down and says you're on the right track citizen and if you don't get that once in a while you just wander endlessly throughout the maze of nothingness searching ever searching you agree? of course 
Can't deny that. Send no money. Send in the coupon tonight. Ten days free trial guaranteed. Peace of mind will be yours. Peace of mind. Yes, there's one commercial that comes on, and they say, if you can't believe, if you can't believe in Preston, what can you believe in? That's a good question. You can't deny that. What can you believe in? God, how true. And I mean, the sad thing the other day, I'm driving along, there's a tattered old sign out here on Utopia, significantly Utopia Parkway. Not significant, Utopia. Would you please look up Utopia tonight, friends? In your 49-cent A&P special dictionary. Utopia. That's spelled with a U. Utopia. Utopia. Look it up tonight. And anyway, I'm driving along Utopia Parkway, and there's this great big sign. It says, at last, something you can believe in. And it was a picture of a Buick. And it was a guy standing by the, by the side of the road there with his hood up and the smoke coming out. I'd like to tell you, friends, that that was a Pontiac. I'd like to tell you that that was a Ford or a Chevy. It was not. And it had, significantly enough, on the side of its hood, it had the simple, symbolic name writ in chrome for all the ages to read. Electra, the great destroyer of the kingdom. You know who Electra was? You don't? You mean Electra, you think, refers to Con Ed? <laughs> oh, no, friends. Electra was some chick. She was something else. You talk about woman's lib. I'll tell you, I, I've noticed, too, that, the, that since they had an Electra model, nobody's come up with an Orestes model. That's O-R-E-S-T-E-S, -E not Orestes, Orestes. Maybe that's why. You don't want to have a car called the Pinch. You know, or the Fuzz. Something like, although that might not be bad in this day of uh, cop shows on TV. Mm. Like a man has to believe in something, you agree? For a while there, I believed in Mary Janes. I was a Mary Jane freak. Now, the first brand name I believed in. I was how old? Three, four, something like that, five. I got so that I used to love to suck that peanut butter out of the middle of the Mary Janes. I even got so affluent I'd throw the rest of the Mary Janes away. But that yellow, that yellow and red and black wax paper label that said Mary Janes warmed me. It was something I could cling to. And then, of course, as time goes and as... Man, man becomes an atheist as he goes. He always does. You go through these moments of, of re rejecting your faith and then embracing it again and rejecting it and embracing it. This is the way man is, right? It is not a straight line issue unless you're a potato or a turnip. You constantly question. You constantly, you constantly beat your chest and say, maybe, maybe I am wrong. And so I found myself believing in Tootsie Rolls. That little brown and white and black label. You recall the Tootsie Roll? Of course you recall it. You probably also had that faith at one time. I went through the Tootsie Roll belief. Till one day a filling came out. And it was directly attributed to the Tootsie Roll. I chomped down on it. There was a crunch. 
The Tootsie Roll went down along with $17 worth of silver. That meant another three weeks in that rotten dentist office. And that point, I began to question my belief, especially when the dentist says, you've been chewing Tootsie Rolls again, right? I hung in there for a while, but then I switched to Butterfingers. Now, this was, again, you could see I was veering off of the main track. You see, this is the way atheism starts. One does not start as, a, as an atheist or a questioner or a nihilist right from the beginning. You start subtly. When other kids are eating Baby Ruth candy bars, you're eating a Butterfinger. Obviously, an off-the-wall type of candy. And you begin to defend it. Other kids were ordering chocolate malts. What was I ordering? Strawberry. And you defend it. Inch by inch, moment by moment, shard by shard, a man becomes an outsider. And then, of course, the total outsider is when all the world is buying General Motors, Chrysler, Ford. You're buying strange little automobiles made out of plastic in a small town in what appears to be Belgium. A lifespan of 12 minutes, but somehow you feel justified in buying it because you believe. Why? I know a guy. <laughs> oh, I don't want to go any further. This gets... This, 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 this sickening tale of searching, searching for heritage is not easy. I know a guy who over 12 years veered from his mother faith. He bought foreign car after foreign car. His mother faith, I might add, was American Motors. His family had been a Nash family before they even had American Motors. Did you know that Nash was finally American? Of course, a lot of people who buy American ones don't know that the, the, the long heritage was the Nash, the Lafayette. Did you ever hear of the Lafayette? Hmm, the Lafayette 600 model. And why was it called 600? They guaranteed you 600 miles on a tank of gas. The car would have a cruising range of 600 miles. Not a car on the road today that can do it. And so his family was a, an American Motors family, all the way back to the original buggies when Nash was building buggies in Elyria, Ohio in 1812. They bought Nash buggies. It was Elmer Wheeltree Nash. Did you know that that was the original Nash? Yes, a buggy maker. How many of you know today who Howard L. Studebaker was? Howard L. Stud and what did Howard L. Studebaker make? Wagons. That is correct. So this is our heritage, friends. That's correct. How many of you today can stand up right here and look me right in the eye and tell me if you remember who Leonard S. Buick was? Not many. It takes a man who has read in the original writings to know these things, who has done some original research in the origins of our religions. We all knew who Henry Ford was. But how many of you know who Walter Chrysler was? Right. And, and even more than I, that, those origins, how many of you can tell me what chief was Pontiac chief of? What tribe was he chief of? Where was his tribe and where did they proliferate? Symbolically enough, Michigan. 
So don't don't ignore these things. I know a man who who who, who paled, lost thirty, forty pounds, became neurotic, because for over four generations his family had been DeSoto people. And then they did away with the DeSoto. It's like doing away with his life tree. His family his family heritage was gone. The DeSoto was gone. He's made this partial comeback. He, he's made a partial comeback. He's made a few tentative forays to his Pontiac Oldsmobile. How many of you know who Olds was? Is there a man among you who can tell me who Louis Chevrolet was? And where did he gain his original fame? That's correct them all. But he wasn't an American race driver. No way. Who was W.J. Heinz of the 57 varieties? And what did the W.J. stand for? Drink. And we mentioned briefly Curtis. Curtis Candy. Who was Mr. Curtis? J.C. Penny. The J.C. didn't stand for what you think it standed for. What did J.C. stand for? And I don't even have to bother you with Mr. Sears and Mr. Roebuck. Mr. Newberry. I know a girl whose proudest claim is that she went to school with the actual son of one of the two guys from Harrison. That's like going to school with St. Peter. In fact, they become so important, they don't even say two guys, just two guys. When you get national, you don't mess around with Harrison. No way. And so we do search for our heritage, and our heritage is where it is. Where is it? You're right. That little family that sits there on television and sings the Samanek song. It's the only thing that keeps them together. It's the only only thing they've got in common. Yes, those old songs that we sing around the around the wax fruit of the dining rooms of our lives. Pepsi-Cola hits the spot. Twelve four ounces, that's a lot. There isn't one of you who doesn't know that song. I could sing any national anthem you want, and there'd be somebody listening who wouldn't know it. Even our own national anthem, there'd be somebody who wouldn't know. What's that song he's singing? It's a strange song. But if I sing Pepsi-Cola, it's a spot. Twelve four ounces, that's a lot. It's been sung all over the world. And millions of families believe, billions, trillions, goes back to the original caveman. Can you imagine living back in days so benighted as to not have any of the real thing available? No real thing in your whole life. Nothing to cling to. That's what civilization is, building things to cling to. Building things that mean something to every man, every poor, small mote of human existence that floats in the eye of God. Hey, that wasn't bad, was it? Mote, that's spelled M-O-T-E, not with an A. 
clinks. He clinks. Wonder bread. Wonder bread. Wonder, the wonder of it all. Wonder, look up wonder, the awe of a miracle being consummated before your eye. Wonder, to stand and wonder before the great god Moloch. Wonder, silver cup awarded to the winner. Yes. Oh, the sinking of a great brand name in America is like the sinking of a religion. This is not only in America. It's all over the world. So don't think for a minute this is an American thing. No way. Why do you think that the very foundations of the British Empire tottered a few seasons ago when they announced that the Rolls Royce would no longer be made? The country rallied as it hadn't rallied since World War II. No Rolls Royce. My God, there'll be no England. There's some truth to that. Some true truth to that. As opposed to truth, truth. Take seven eggs tonight. See, I'm singing it where the old gentleman sings it, and everyone goes, ha, 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 ha. But it's important, friends. You don't laugh. You don't laugh in the face of fate. Not yet, Herb. Not yet. Hold it, I'm sorry. That was a premature cue. You do not laugh in the face of fate, and you do not laugh in the face of commercials, friends. Stand up. Put your hand over your heart and listen hard. My heart burns back. This pressure must be gas again. Digel has told you that acid indigestion and heartburn are often accompanied by gas. Digel calls it gasid indigestion. Now a report from the U.S. government confirms that the only ingredients recognized effective against both acid indigestion and gas are an antacid combined with cimethicone. And that's exactly what Digel is. You see, antacids alone only take care of the acid. But Digel is different. It does more. It not only reduces the excess acid, but has the unique anti-gas ingredient, cimethicone, that gets rid of the trapped gas, too. In fact, in a survey conducted among doctors who specialize in stomach disorders, 98% of the doctors responding said they've recommended products containing Digel's special anti-gas ingredient, cimethicone. No antacid alone relieves like Digel does. Use only as directed. Digel, liquid or tablets for gasset indigestion. In regular mint flavor, and now new lemon orange. Well, it's uh, Dell paperback time again, and uh, we have a note here that says, Justice, you'll be stunned by what happened after a cop's brutal murder in the onion field. Joseph Wambaugh's real-life suspense bestseller, now available as a Dell paperback. So don't miss the onion field. It's on the Dell rack, and you just stand back there and look up and down that Dell rack and see all those great books. And there it is, The Onion Field. And while you're about looking at The Onion Field, take a look at this Dell book. The greatest bestsellers. Books like Rebecca, Exodus, Hawaii. You don't just read them, you live them. Beulah Land by Lonnie Coleman is that kind of book. A sensational bestseller compared by many to Gone with the Wind. But Beulah Land is so frank it could only be published in our time. Beulah Land, the story of a great plantation in all its outward splendor and secret shame. Beulah Land, a Dell paperback bestseller. This is Consumer Affairs Commissioner Eleanor Guggenheimer reminding you that when you buy a new car, you're also buying a warranty. It tells you just what is guaranteed in the way of repairs on factory defects in your car. 
The warranty should be just as important to you as horsepower or luggage space. Warranties aren't all alike, and the difference could mean money in your pocket. Be sure you understand exactly what parts of the car are not covered by the warranty. Tires, for instance, are usually not covered. To keep the warranty valid, you'll have to have your car serviced according to a set schedule. Stick to the schedule and keep copies of work orders and receipts to prove that you have. Read the warranty and visit the dealer's service facilities. The better they are, the better your chance of getting prompt and thorough repairs. In the final analysis, though, a warranty is only as good as the intentions of the manufacturer and dealer behind it. Find out as much as you can about their reputation for honoring warranties. You owe it to yourself to get the best deal you possibly can. Good, good. Don't you feel cleansed? <laughs> uh, practically, I, I can just reach back in, in my mind, as all of you can, reach back in my mind and, and, and draw out a thousand great commercial songs that are, that are just as much a part of your life as anything else in your life. You can probably remember songs of commercials more than you remember people. It's not easy to remember somebody you knew five years ago and haven't seen since. But who can forget? Can, can any of you remember the St. George Hotel commercial song? The St. George Hotel is the hotel for you. Did you know there was such a commercial? It played an important role in my life at one time. I had this clock radio. And it would every time it went off, I, I was in a barracks, right? You want to hear about this in the barracks? There was a guy in the barracks. I didn't have the clock radio. This guy in the barracks had it. And it became an important, integral part of our life. And it was really a, a, a nervous part. We're all sitting in this barracks, and we were in this... Have you ever heard the, have you heard, heard the expression isolated? Uh, when they isolate a group of soldiers or when they put them on alert? Have you heard the expression on alert? Well, do you know what it really means? Well, it has, you know, pretty obvious meaning, alert. But when you're actually on alert, it means something else. And we were on alert. And we were in a barracks. There were 36 of us. And we had no idea where we would go. This, this can control your whole life. You know, you're liable to get sent to the Antarctic. You're liable to get sent... You know, in, in your own life, you're, you're walking around civilian life, one of the great things about civilian life is you have some knowledge, some knowledge, I repeat, not all, some knowledge of the future. So you say to yourself, well, next, uh, next summer I think I'll go to New Hampshire. You say that to yourself, and you probably will if you decide you're going to do it. But in certain areas of the service at certain times, you have no knowledge whatsoever of the future. And that presents a whole different set of facts and uh, little signposts in your daily life. No knowledge of the future. Now, you may not have an ultimate knowledge of the future, the ultimate future. In other words, your plan to go to New Hampshire next summer may be completely lost up by a Sixth Avenue cab. <laughs> okay? So you really don't have an ultimate grasp of your future. But you think you do, and that's enough. But we're sitting in the barracks. We were on alert. They wouldn't let us out of the barracks. But to stay in the barracks, except for meal times. And they would they would march us out at exactly meal time, 
at breakfast. You couldn't even stay in the barracks if you didn't want the meal. You had to go out with the unit. You had to stay with this 36 bunch of guys. Even if you didn't want to eat, you got up and you marched to breakfast. So they knew exactly where everybody was at all times. Because the orders to send you into paradise or hell may come through at any split millisecond and you will be put on a plane and flown out that minute and your your stuff was all packed all the time and you had to constantly wear what they called your alert uniform which was a class B uniform as opposed to a class A dress uniform it was a class B uniform which meant uh, it was all total wool shirt the whole thing we'd march off to breakfast we'd march off to lunch We'd march off to supper. And then we would sit in the barracks and wait for lights out. Well, there was one guy about three-quarters of the way down the barracks from me who had a little clock radio that went off automatically with this uh, with this clock. And why he had it, I don't know. It was one of these little portable types, see. And, and we'd be lying in, in the sack there nervously because they may send you at night they may send you when you're asleep all of a sudden the whistles go and they march you out so you did not sleep so well and so every morning at exactly 5.14 his clock would heat up took about 30 seconds for this radio to heat up the clock would start and the radio would heat up and it was eerie this radio would come on every morning one minute before Reveille, which was 5.15, one minute, and you'd hear in the darkness of the barracks, you'd hear this voice singing, The St. George Hotel is the hotel for you. Nothing else. You didn't hear the show before it or the show after it. It would just come on. The St. George Hotel. And you'd hear all these voices muttering in the darkness. Oh, God another day and you wake up and you'd, you'd stare at the ceiling of the barracks while this voice is singing of the indescribable delights of the St. George Hotel and then exactly at 5.15 at just, it was time fantastic timing just as they finished the last note of the song the lights of the barracks would go on boom it would go on like that and all the lights would be on they'd turn the lights on and from that minute on, it was, you know, you'd hit the deck, this guy would come running, and, all right, let's go, let's move it. And you're on the ground running, and five minutes later, you're sitting in the mess hall in your Class B uniform, unshaven, staring down at a bowl of lumpy oatmeal with the howling gales of uncertainty screaming around the eaves outside and the echoes in the mind, the windmills flailing. The St. George Hotel is the hotel. And to me, that commercial became such an integral part of a very nervous period in my life that every time I hear commercials that come on, I, I listen. There may be an omen, there may be a sign. Maybe they're trying to say something. Maybe they are saying something. Maybe they don't even know what they're saying. Yes, at last, something you can believe in. If you can't believe in Preston, what can you believe in? Those are all good.
good questions in our time. Not to be sneered at. You never know about religions, about gods. They work, they work in mysterious ways. This is WOR New York. Stay tuned for In Conversation.